The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. Today, after the headlines, I chat with West Hollywood Council member Seppi Shine about this tumultuous year we've had, do a recap, as well as her plans for the city of West Hollywood and 2021. Here are a few headlines from this morning as well as over the weekend. Authorities continue to investigate the Christmas morning blast that rocked downtown Nashville. Three people were injured in the explosion early Friday and dozens of buildings were damaged. Police said a boxy white RV arrived at 2nd Avenue North in downtown Nashville at 1.22 a.m. Eastern Time on Friday. Several hours later, a resident in the area said that she woke up to what sounded like an automatic weapon. When officers responded to the scene, they found a white RV parked in front of an AT&T transmission building that was repeatedly broadcasting a warning that an explosion would occur in 15 minutes, according to the police. A computerized voice warned residents to evacuate now. Investigators believe the explosion was likely the result of a suicide bombing, according to two law enforcement sources with direct knowledge of the investigation. Metro Nashville Police Chief John Drake named Anthony Quinn Warner, 63, of Antioch, Tennessee, as a key person in the investigation. Good afternoon. Uh, this morning, around 5.30 a.m., officers responded to a call for shots fired in the downtown area, uh, specifically 2nd uh, and uh, near Commerce. As officers responded, they encountered an RV that had a recording uh, saying that a potential bomb would detonate uh, within 15 minutes. Officers, upon hearing that, decided to evacuate the buildings uh, nearby. So they uh, began knocking on doors, making announcements, having uh, uh, emergency communications, communicate with everyone to get people uh, safe. Uh, shortly after that, uh, the RV exploded. Uh, we had one officer that was knocked to the ground. Another officer uh, is fine. Currently, uh, what we have going on now is we have our canine dogs, all of them are out, uh, partnering with uh, Tennessee Highway Patrol, our federal partners, and we're uh, sweeping the downtown area just as a precaution to make sure uh, that everyone is safe and that, um, you know, any service that needed, we can provide that. And so with that said, uh, we don't feel there's uh, any concern in the downtown area of any uh, thing else right now, but we are doing it as a precaution just at the search with our bomb dogs. Furious at Senate Republican leaders for acknowledging he lost to President-elect Joe Biden, Trump has so far rejected the coronavirus stimulus package they negotiated with Democrats and his own administration, leaving jobless benefits to lapse for millions of Americans and embarrassing his one-time political allies. Because Trump refused to sign the COVID-19 relief bill, that his own aides helped to write by Saturday night, millions of Americans who were facing their last payment are left without certainty or if they 
will ever see more assistance. An estimated 12 million Americans who have been laid off or are set to receive their final unemployment payment for the week ending this weekend, according to the Century Foundation. The legislation that Trump refuses to sign would extend the number of weeks people can stay on two key pandemic unemployment programs and increase weekly benefits by 300 for all through mid-March. Donald Trump's presidency is blazing into history in a way that epitomizes his corrupt excess with pardons for cronies and war crimes, assaults on democracy, fresh COVID-19 denial, and impunity for Russia. Among the pre-Christmas wave of pardons, Paul Manafort, Roger Stone, and George Papandopoulos all fit into the category of Mueller inquiry pardons, as did Michael Flynn, who got his get-out-of-jail-free card before Thanksgiving. Another one of Trump's final day pardons covers Jared Kushner's father, Charles Kushner, who pleaded guilty to charges of lying, witness tampering, and tax evasion. Dr. Anthony Fauci on Sunday expressed concern that the worst may still come in America's battle against COVID-19, agreeing with President-elect Joe Biden's recent assessment that the darkest days in fighting the virus lie ahead. 332,000 Americans have died of COVID-19 so far. One of every 17 people in the U.S. has been infected, and one in 1,000 has died. This is the worst stage of the pandemic, and we've got to get through this. And the only way we're going to get through this is if we're all working hard to take precautions. But Americans don't seem to be listening, ignoring pleas to stay home. More than 8 million people flew for the holiday, marking the busiest travel period since the pandemic began. We faced a surge in April, surge in August, and now we've got this third surge that is the worst. And we don't know what this looks like yet. In the UK, where a more contagious strain of the virus is running rampant, travelers to the US facing new restrictions starting Monday. They must show a negative test within three days of boarding their flights. In Los Angeles, where a person dies from COVID every 10 minutes, testing for the highly contagious strain in the UK has already begun. Fears that it may already be here and contributing to the surge. But experts are hopeful that the vaccine, currently being administered worldwide, will work against COVID mutations. I think it's probably more likely that the current vaccines are going to be protective against, you know, a wide variety of different strains. We very well might see a post-seasonal, in the sense of Christmas, uh, New Year's surge. And as I've described it as a surge upon a surge, because if you look at the slope, the incline of cases that we've experienced as we've gone into the late fall and soon to be early winter, it is really quite troubling. You mentioned the numbers yourself quite correctly when you're dealing with a baseline of 200,000 cases, new cases a day, and about 2,000 deaths per day, with the hospitalizations are over 120,000. We're really at a very critical point. If you put more pressure on the system by what might be a post-seasonal surge because of the traveling and the likely congregating of people for you know the good warm purposes of being together for the holidays, it's very tough for people well, to not do that. And yet, even though we had 
We advise not to. It's going to happen. So I share the concern of President-elect Biden that as we get into the next few weeks, it might actually get worse. Well, again, you know, there's no guarantee it'll happen, but there certainly is a danger of that. When you travel, you see pictures on the TV screens, Dana, of people at airports crowded in lines trying to stay physically separated, but it's so difficult to do that. And that generally is followed when people get to the destination they want to be, that you're going to have mixing of household people at a dinner or at a social function. Those are things that naturally happen. And as much as we advise against it, nonetheless, it happens. And that's one of the reasons why we're concerned about that being a real risk situation for the spread of infection. In terms of what it would take to reach so-called herd immunity in the United States, here's what you said. You said, when polls said about when polls said only about half of all Americans would take a vaccine, I was saying herd immunity would take 70 to 75 percent. Then when newer surveys said 60 percent or more would take it, I thought I can nudge this up a bit. So I went to 80, 85. And then you go on to say that it may be as high as 90 percent. So my question is, why weren't you straight with the American people about this to begin with? No. No, actually, Dana, I don't think it can be interpreted as being straight or not. We have to realize that we have to be humble and realize what we don't know. These are pure estimates. And the calculations that I made, 70, 75 percent, it's a range. The range is going to be somewhere between 70 and 85 percent. The reason I first started saying 70, 75, I brought it up to 85. That's not a big leap to go mm -hmm. from 75 to 85. It was really based on calculations and pure extrapolations from measles. Measles is about 98% effective vaccine. The COVID-19 vaccine is about 94, 95%. When you get below 90% of the population vaccinated with measles, you start seeing a breakthrough against the herd immunity. Mm -hmm. People starting to get infected like we saw in the upper New York State and in New York City with the Orthodox Jewish group when we had measles outbreak. So I made a calculation that COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, is not as nearly as transmissible as measles. Mm -hmm. Measles is the most transmissible infection you can imagine. So I would imagine that you would need something a little bit less than the 90%. That's where I got to the 85. But I think we all have to be honest and humble. Nobody really knows for sure, but I think 70 to 85% for herd immunity for COVID-19 is a reasonable estimate. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt, I want to talk about elected officials, politicians, diplomats, uh, whatever you want to call them, both here in the States and internationally. Now, I'm a huge fan of uh, many elected officials, senators, representatives, mayors, governors, and also politicians in other countries, but they are definitely not the majority. They're a minority. One of the things that I've become more aware of this year because of all the catastrophe that's happened is how some diplomats um, carry on as if it's business as usual, uh, very cavalier without really changing their ways or even speeds when 
so much is at stake when we have emergencies, when we have, you know, just so many people are affected by everything that's happened. If we just even look at just 2020, for example, 12 million Americans lost their unemployment as of Saturday night because Trump refused to sign the stimulus bill. These people were people who had jobs who were laid off because of COVID-19. They don't know if they're going to get any other assistance, and if they do, when? So aside from Trump, why aren't our elected officials pushing more? Now, some are, and I see it, and I talk to them about it, but I feel like a lot more could have been done. This entire year, there's been a single check for 1,200 sent to Americans after all the debates and all the back and forths and all the different bills, a lot of them passed through the House because of Democratic leadership. But of course, Senator McConnell uh, blocked a lot of them and Trump refused to do anything about it. Point being is, if what we're doing is not working, then we need to push harder. Because, you know, we keep saying these numbers like 12 million and this, you know, different numbers, but Every single person is an individual and they're, they're hurting. And I've seen them from people having a hard time paying their rent, food, medical bills, etc. And that's just one example. Another one is COVID-19. 332,000 people, Americans I should say, have died of COVID-19. And that's just Americans. One out of a thousand Americans has died of COVID-19. In LA County... One person dies of COVID-19 every 10 minutes. So, you know, this is, this is just staggering. Our ICU units are at zero capacity. It's just dangerous level. So we've had Governor Newsom and Eric Garcetti, my Eric Garcetti, I should say, you know, try to push to get the aid needed. But obviously, we're not. The most populous state in the country is really suffering and I feel like a lot more politicians can be a lot more aggressive in doing what's best for the people. I think in certain instances, we can put aside politics of respectability and sort of even old school diplomacy when so much is at stake. Another thing, now I'm not very optimistic that whether it's the state of New York or any other sort of body or law enforcement is going to uh, make sure that justice is served to President Trump uh, after he he's no longer president with all the corruption and all the fraud and everything else that he's responsible for and his uh, sort of latest pardons, which are just egregious, the people that he's pardoned. Um, so we'll see about that. But I feel like a lot of people get away with things like this, including President Trump, because most just sort of watch from afar and it's just not their in their best interest to inter intervene so they you know it's just about their self-interest it's not really about making sure that the laws of the land are applied and uh, and that justice is served to everyone equally and not just people who are not at the top don't have you know all the money in the world and then if we look at uh, internationally, uh, we think about the complicity of 
so-called world leaders and organizations and bodies and what they are doing or not doing for what's happening. For example, there's been an ongoing genocide in Yemen for years. A lot of people know about it, but they just turn a blind eye because not turning a blind eye would mean that they have to face so Saudi Arabia and all of their sort of power and wrath. And who wants to do that? And we are supposed to be allies with them, so we're supposed to turn a blind eye, which we do. And then there's Ethiopia, another genocide that's happening right now in real time. And what are we doing about it? What is the world doing about it? And I'll get to the organizations, the global organizations and European organizations that are also very complicit. Syria is being bombed. Why? Why? The press is barely covering it. You have Turkey's President Erdogan, who is, God, he is probably the Hitler to be. His crimes are just, he's just going on a rampage all over the world uh, from Libya to Syria to the South Caucasus uh, to the Eastern Mediterranean and all the trouble that he's causing. And so many countries and leaders are basically bought by his, um, well, his huge lobby power and also because he's partners with uh, Azerbaijan's President Aliyev and the oil that flows through, Western Europeans' needs for all that oil. So they just sort of stay quiet while Erdogan is creating problems all over the place. And Turkey is supposed to be a member of NATO, but NATO doesn't seem to care that all of its um, values are uh, diminished by Erdogan. So they just, uh, just sit back and watch, um, including the latest genocidal attack and ethnic cleansing that Turkey orchestrated via Azerbaijan, a proxy war on Armenians of Artsakh or Nagorno-Karabakh, bringing mercenaries from Libya, Syria, Pakistan, and ISIS to kill Armenians and paying them 2000 a month plus a $100 bonus for each severed head. And Erdogan is housing more ISIS in Turkey than any other country and is using these jihadists all over Europe to intimidate and to threaten European nations if they do or say anything. And the world goes on. You know, people are, these leaders are more concerned about getting reelected and the flow of uh, natural gas and oil and uh, uranium and gold, etc., than doing what's right. And yet, when you give them a platform on a stage behind a podium with spotlights, they, they, they talk a really good talk. They will talk about human rights, and they will talk about doing the right thing, and they'll talk about global family, etc. All the rhetoric and sound bites, the PR spins that they do, uh, when in reality, uh, you don't see that actually happening. You know, NATO is very complicit, or maybe not complicit. They're doing what they want to do, which is sort of a power grab and uh, collective or selectively selectively bringing to the world attention what they want to. Um, same thing with the UN. UN is just so absent from 
so many different conflicts and so many different things that are happening. So why are we funding the UN if the UN won't uh, intervene or at least have something to say about these things? And then there is the OSCE, which is the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, which has um, just been dormant. They've done nothing for so many of the different conflicts that are happening. Now I'm going to get to the three most corrupt ones. The Human Rights Watch, which is a U.S. organization, and how you know they, they basically take bribes. It's not even anything uh, subtle or anything um, that they do uh, in disguise of quote-unquote donation or advocacy or anything like that. And... There's Amnesty International, which produces some of the most biased reports. And then last, UNESCO, which I think it's pretty much sold to the country of Azerbaijan. You know, Azerbaijan's president donated $5 million to UNESCO, so they appointed his wife to the board. And uh, so UNESCO uh, ignored the destruction of thousands of Greeks, Greek, Assyrian, and Armenian churches, monasteries, monuments, and antiquity all through the South Caucasus, including in Turkey and in Karnogarabakh, uh, completely quiet about it. And yet UNESCO, a couple of weeks ago, issued this press release calling some pomegranate festival in Azerbaijan uh, some cultural, I don't know, some cultural um, gem or whatnot, whatever however they worded it. And yet, when 4th, 5th, 6th century monasteries are completely demolished by Azerbaijan or cross stones of an entire cemetery, they don't really talk about, well, they don't talk about it at all. They've just totally turned a blind eye. So, yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot to say about the state of our world, I think, where a lot of our elected elected officials, our diplomats, organizations that we fund, organizations that we, we think are doing the right thing, are basically complicit, and they do what's in their own best interest. And yet um, the reality, you know, it's just uh, very sad. And what we have is this 2020, and all the people that have suffered this year and continue to suffer, but it didn't have to be this bad if our elected officials, and I don't just mean the ones that are obvious who should have been on top of it, like Donald Trump not denying COVID-19 in the beginning and calling it a hoax, but the rest of them should have been pushing harder and should have been more aggressive. You know, the Republican Party is just, it's extraordinary how they, they kept quiet for this entire year when Donald Trump just destroyed destroyed so many so many of the foundations and so many of just just ignored ignored the American people and the Republican Party, not one person had the courage and had the morals to stand up and say, "This is not okay so there you have it that's me getting blunt on. The complicity and the cavalier attitude of a vast majority of our diplomats, elected officials, and organizations that don't do what they're supposed to do. So let's get blunt. Uh, if you want to send me feedback or idea, you can do so on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Vic Jarami. That's 
at V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. Let's get blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. Attorney Seppi Shine is the newly elected West Hollywood Council member who received substantially more votes than all other candidates on November 3rd to become only the second lesbian and the first woman of color to be on the West Hollywood City Council. Seppi is an Iranian-American business and trademark attorney, a Reiki master, and an LGBTQ civil rights advocate. Council member Shine is also an appointed member of the LA County Assessor's Advisory Council. She's a past co-president of the LGBTQ Bar Association of Los Angeles. She currently serves on the steering committee of the Human Rights Campaign Los Angeles as co-chair of the political action and community engagement and is a co-organizer of WeHo Neighbors Helping Neighbors. Hello, Seppi. Happy holidays. Thank you for being on this last show this last the blunt post with vic thank you for being here hi vic it's so good to be here and happy holidays to you as well thanks Uh, for having me back of course i you and i chatted a couple of months ago but uh you are now a west hollywood city council member so congratulations on that thank you yeah i wanted to i I know you've been busy um, ever since november 3rd Um, So I wanted to sort of wrap up this year on this last show with you and talk about, you know, this historic year we've gone through. Um, Oh, sure. There's so much to say. (laughs) Yeah. So, well, tell me, tell what's your perspective on 2020? Well, um, a lot of not so great things. I think a lot of, um, unfortunately, we've had... I think the last time, last night I looked, 331, more than 331,000 people have died. Um, the the surge is really bad in LA County right now, and we really need people to stay home and stay only with their own households. Um, don't go to any parties, please. Um, the ICU capacities are have been at zero for weeks and are with 6,700 people in the ICU Um, and doctors are, uh, I've read that doctors now need to have conversations about how to ration care. So it's a really, really bad situation. And in that sense, really bad. Um, Some good news is, you know, Trump did not win his reelection, despite everything he keeps saying still. President-elect Joe Biden and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will be sworn in in less than a month. Uh, So we have some good things to look forward to, as well as hopefully we'll win the two Senate races in Georgia and be able to have more control in the Senate. So, And I won my election in West Hollywood, and both incumbents were actually defeated. So it's it's uh, a new day in West Hollywood, which is also great. Absolutely. And you won with a landslide. And uh, definitely the city of West Hollywood and its residents uh, spoke out and wanted change. And that happened. And congrats to yep. you for that. Thank um, you. I'm glad you brought up Georgia because that is really important. I haven't seen initially after November 3rd, I saw a lot of coverage about Georgia and how that's going to be just as important as the November 3rd election. But mm-hmm. I think um, it sort of fizzled a little bit. 
And it's so yeah. important for us to make sure that um, we win both seats. Otherwise, um, Mitch McConnell will still be majority leader and he will continue to do what he's done for the last many years, even before Trump. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, blocking a lot of great bills that were passed by a Democratic House. And I think that's that's on purpose. And Trump is still um, swallowing a lot of media time, unfortunately. And COVID is out of control. So the media is giving him attention and giving um, COVID and regarding COVID rightly attention. But he's swallowing up media time so people don't focus as much on uh, that Senate race. But I will tell you that Democratic clubs are having a lot of phone banks and there's text banks opportunities, get out the vote opportunities uh, are available for um, people to help uh, yeah, get the vote out for those. Yeah. The Westside Democratic uh, headquarters has been very active as well as grassroots Democrats and Santa Monica Democratic Club and uh, yeah. Heart of LA Democratic Club as well. Yes. For Georgia. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jarami, and you are listening to my interview with West Hollywood Council member Seppi Shine. So ever since you became a city council, you've already you know, done some great things and passed several bills, if you will. And so I want to I hear it from you. I know you co-sponsored a few, and some of them were your own uh, initiative. So let's yes. go down the list. <laughs> Sounds good. So we've had two meetings, uh, city council meetings, since I got sworn in. Uh, the night that I got sworn in on December 7th, I brought forward one of my signature items that I campaigned on very strongly, and it was passed unanimously. And uh, Mayor Horvath, I asked her to co-sponsor it with me, and she did. Uh, so basically, it's the um, social justice task force made up of black, indigenous, and people of color who are residents, business owners, and workers in our city. Uh, so this task force is going to advise city council on social equity issues and racial inequality issues to dismantle systemic racism. So they're going to do policy recommendations. I think this is really important. And I was ecstatic that it passed unanimously um, in our last. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so finally, uh, BIPOC, the BIPOC community will have a seat at the table in West Hollywood. The second item that I also passed during our last meeting is, um, and that was co-sponsored by Councilwoman Lauren Meister, um, was a business assistance and recovery plan. And it was several different items. Uh, two of the main ones were business assistance grants up to $250,000 for our most vulnerable brick and mortar small businesses and staff is basically going to uh, come up with a recommendation they're going to form uh, do the logistics of how these will be distributed and do a recommendation of how much and that will come back to us as well as in the long term the formation of a small business task force that will be made up small business uh, business owners and uh, experts that will be appointed by city council uh, members. And there's one seat at the table for the Chamber of Commerce so they can you know, work alongside each other for our businesses. And this task force 
will really uh, be for business recovery, business success, and business diversification. And this task force, the, their goal is to come up with an economic blueprint for West Hollywood. And that's really essential. So those are the two items that I brought forth. I also brought forth another item actually at the first meeting, which was really um, to have the LA County uh, Supervisor's Office and the uh, LA County Department of Public Health and the Chamber come to talk about the effect of the orders on businesses and the staff reported on what we've done to help businesses and it was a q a and the result of that q a ended up that we sent a letter to the county supervisor's office asking for certain things to help our small businesses uh, so that was more of a i mean i wouldn't say that was an ordinance or initiative that we passed but uh, that was also important to bring different stakeholders to council so we can ask questions and get answers uh, and then um, in this last meeting i co-sponsored three items uh, the one that passed unanimously uh, actually two of them passed unanimously one was uh, the creation of uh, the trans pride flag on a crosswalk in on Santa Monica Boulevard, as well as the inclusive rainbow flag, which includes the black and brown stripes. So we staff is going to take that to the Transgender Advisory Board, Transportation Commission and the Lesbian Gay Advisory Board for input on where to have these uh, flags painted on, on which crosswalks, etc. And that was a unanimous, um, passed unanimously. I'm really excited about that. That's fantastic. It's about time, right? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it is time. And there are a lot of, there's there's a lot of people that are ecstatic and happy. And there, there's also uh, residents and people that don't understand. Or, you know, I've heard feedback saying, well, the rainbow flag is already all inclusive. And it's about, sec- it's a spectrum of the sexuality, whereas black and brown stripes are race. And I think the what they're missing is that we can create something new and create create avenues for black and brown people who have historically, especially in the transgender community, been the subject of violence and racial inequality within our own community. And yes, the rainbow flag originally was a spectrum of sexuality, but evolution is okay. And inclusiveness is okay. Obviously, there have been uh, members in the black and brown community who have not felt included. So this is why we're going to create more well, inclusivity. Well, let's get blunt. You are mm-hmm. you're not only the only the second lesbian to be uh, on the West Hollywood City Council, but you're the first woman of color to be on City yep. Council in West Hollywood's 36 year history. Mm-hmm. So, you know, make and only the second person of color. Period. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's just look at that. That alone sort of yeah. puts that uh, discussion to rest. Yes. Um, so that's Absolutely. fantastic. I look forward to seeing the bright new flags all over the uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. Me too. And that's something that um, John Erickson asked me to co-sponsor with him, uh, Council Member John Erickson. Uh, so the next item I co-sponsored um, and Council Member John D'Amico asked me to co-sponsor this with him is a housing study of all of the West Hollywood owned city properties to 
for staff to do a study on the potential of what, how much housing we can build potentially on each of them. So that's going to be important data for us to have in our housing plan for the future. Yeah, and, and West Hollywood has a lot of uh, owns a lot of property yes. over the city. Yes, we do. We there's there's several uh, different properties that we own, and a housing study has never been done. And now we can have this study, have the data, have more transparency, and see what the potential is. So, uh, I appreciated Councilmember D'Amico asking me, and I and this passed unanimously too. Um, and the last item that was asked in our last meeting which council member Meister asked me to co-sponsor and I was just so excited and happy about co-sponsoring this. This passed on a three to two vote, which is a nomination for the renaming of the West Hollywood library mm -hmm. uh, to be changed to the Ruth Bader Ginsburg West Hollywood library. I love it. And yes, I mean the potential for people to visit West Hollywood because they want to go to our Ruth Bader Ginsburg library is going to be huge. And she is an icon of equality for every resident pretty much in West Hollywood, whether it's women, workers, especially the LGBTQ community. And she's um, not, not to mention that she was, uh, you know, one of few Supreme court justices that was Jewish and, progressive so progressive and so i'm very excited and now the public process of is going to start with our naming policy so that the public can weigh in and different boards and commissions can weigh in and then give a final recommendation when the process is finished to come back to council for a final vote this is the blunt post with vic i am your host vic jarami and you are listening to my interview with west hollywood council member seppi shine yeah, and she was the most vocal and supportive of marriage equality when that went through the Supreme she Court. She sure was. And she's she just sure a perfect was. candidate because she's known, you know, she's sort of an icon and she was a yeah. Supreme Court justice, so library is very apropos. Yep. And uh, you know that going down, you know, through the years, a lot of things will be named after her, but for West Hollywood to really be the first one to name something major after her, it'll attract a lot of attention. So I think it's just a fantastic yeah. idea. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And she was also the first Supreme Court justice ever to perform uh, gay marriage. So that was another <laughs> LGBTQ. Yeah, well, she was very sure much an ally. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to follow up and uh, look at the developments for that. That's yeah. a lot, Seppi, you've done already since November 3rd. So pat yourself on the back. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I ran on uh, progressive change and I came to get things done. <laughs> so yeah. no sense waiting. So I'm, I'm very proud of um, what we've been able to accomplish already and really excited for what the possibilities for the next four years. Yeah. And you're also you're running as a delegate for delegate for Assembly District 50, which a lot of people don't know what that means and what it entails. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Absolutely. I'm really excited to be running with the progressive slate to be a delegate in, in Assembly District 50 to the California Democratic Party. And what this means is the delegates that get elected basically um, get to vote on endorsements. Uh, so I ran 
to, I was seeking the endorsement of the LA County Democratic Party and then the California Democratic Party also uh, gave endorsements. So I would now be on the other side. And so people that want to run for elected office, I would be giving my vote on whether or not to endorse. And of course, I would utilize my lens of progressive values on those votes. Uh, we also have a decisions that we can make and how to shape the platform for the Democratic Party, which is really important uh, for the future of, of all. And the way that people can vote for us, not everyone is going to get a ballot because it's by assembly district. So uh, in order to vote for myself and my slate members, is you would go to register online at adem adem dot california dam so it's adem dot c-a-d-e-m dot org and um, if you live in assembly district 50 which includes west hollywood parts of hollywood uh, Brentwood, Beverly Hills, uh, Santa Monica, uh, Agoura Hills, I believe parts of Sherman Oaks, uh, you can vote for our slate and the deadline to register to get your ballot in the mail is January 11th. So you just go online, enter your voter information and a ballot will be sent to you. That ballot needs to be filled out and received back. And by the way, postage is free by January 27th. So I would say make sure you mail it by the 20th, no later than the 20th. Our slate um, has been endorsed by uh, Los Angeles City Councilman Kevin DeLeon, by Howard Stern. More endorsements are coming in. And I'm running with some incredible, dynamic, progressive people, actually. Um, and if I may, do you mind if I go through the list of my slate mates? No, absolutely. Sure. So I'm running with 13 other people and uh, starting with Carolyn Tarosis, who is on the rent control board and just got elected again for the second term to the rent control board in Santa Monica. Angela Scott, who is a phenomenal civil rights activist. Anastasia Foster, who also got elected again to the Santa Monica rent control board. Uh, Santa Monica Mayor Sue Himmerlich. Uh, Jennifer Barraza, who uh, is the chief of staff for Kevin DeLeon, um, Isabel Story, another civil rights activist, uh, Dr. Paul Song, uh, Santa Monica Democratic Party president, John Katz. Oh, by the way, we also got yeah, endorsed by the Santa Monica Democratic Club, too. John's yeah, been a guest on this show a couple of times. Oh, he's fantastic. And just a true progressive and phenomenal. Um, I'm really excited to be running with him and everybody else. Dr. Shion Roy, Dami Pituro, who's also on the board of the Santa Monica Democratic Club, Murtaza Mugri, um, Keith Coleman, and uh, Chris Bowen. So Chris and I are from West, you know, we're West Hollywood residents. And Chris is on the Transportation Commission in West Hollywood. Wow. Well, good luck to you. Um, can you tell us that website again for people to register? Yeah, absolutely. So it's adem.cadem.org. So it's adem.cadem.org. Fantastic. Thank you for that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with West Hollywood Council member Seppi Shine. 
One of the things I want to talk to you about, or ask you, I should say, is uh, Pride, Pride 2021. Of course, mm -hmm. Prides all over the world were canceled this year, or some had sort of online versions of them, but uh, West Hollywood Pride, ha Pride has been a sort of a, a landmark. It's been one of the most yeah. popular Prides in 50 years, and it's been organized by Christopher Street West, the nonprofit that's been doing it since 1970 but this year they announced that in 2021 they will no longer hold it in west hollywood mm -hmm. but i know that the members of the city council have said that nonetheless west hollywood will have a pride so yeah. do you know yet what's happening what that's going to look like yeah, absolutely. So the reality is, Vic, given the surge, and there's going to be probably another surge after Christmas and New Year's, um, and the vaccine rollout, you know, pe most people aren't going to get the vaccine probably until around after spring and summertime. The reality is, all the prides have to be virtual even this summer, right? Um, and well, the summer prides, I know we have prides coming into September too, but um, we had an item on at our first meeting on December 7th, uh, well, first meeting after the election, that was basically an item to hire a uh, consultant to s help us reach out to the community to re-envision Pride for 2022. It was a $260,000 price tag on there, and we all voted against it because the business community was there and they spoke up and said, let us um, let us do pride. We, we're not going to charge anything to see West Hollywood. Um, uh, and we will. And the, the um, producer from JJLA also offered his services to help do this virtual pride. And of course, we thought, OK, well, that makes sense. Uh, we'll take your offer. And so the business community, along with him, are going to uh, go ahead and put together a virtual pride for the summer. And then after that, we can start. We're going to need to still have discussions because by 2022, uh, we should be able to be back in person, hopefully. Okay. Um, and then we are going to you know, have to figure out what process we want for that okay so 2021 is is going to going to be virtual yes confirmed okay i i had no idea so it, it makes sense considering yeah. it's it's easier than sort of the wait and see that happened this year because yeah when when we found out about COVID in january a lot of a lot of people were thinking by june you'll be you know it'll be over that was no unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe if we had, we had no a different idea. president and everything was actually locked down and shut down, that would have been the case. But yeah, that's not where um, we are. Well, he was golfing. You know, you can't blame mm -hmm. him. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so let's talk about 2021 in general. What do you sort of look forward to, plans, and things like that? Well, I look forward to um, getting the vaccine, first of all, when it's made available. Um, and I look forward to encouraging other residents to do the same. Um, I look forward to continuing to bring progressive change to West Hollywood and bring items that will uh, that I ran on, including items that will help us combat climate change, 
help our renters, reimagining policing in West Hollywood, um, helping to create more public safety by uh, shifting funds to places that are more effective, um, and continuing to bring more initiatives forward that I made promises on. And um, that's I'm really excited about the the possibilities. And I'm really excited for the summer to come because by then we should, you know, most of the population should be vaccinated and perhaps uh, we can begin to start to gather in person by maybe September or um, fall or winter and start getting back to normal. Yeah. Thank you for that. Any parting words, any call to action aside from going to register so they can vote for the delegate of uh, Assembly District 50? Um, I would just say to everyone, please abide by the stay-at-home orders. I know it's been such a, such a difficult year, um, but it's really incumbent upon us to collectively work together to protect each other. And that means um, enjoying home and being creative and being with your own household and uh, wearing your mask when you go outside and uh, continuing to just follow the orders no matter how hard they are the more we follow them the shorter this uh, crisis will last well said well Seppi thank you for being on this last show of the Blunt Post with Vic Uh, always good talking to you Likewise. Thank and, you for uh, having me. I'm, I'm really honored to be on your show and your last show of the 2020. Yes, hopefully. Well, I know that 2021 will be a much better year and I look forward to that. Yes, absolutely. Me okay. too. Thank you, Seppi. Okay. Bye-bye. That was West Hollywood Council member Seppi Shine, who's been on this show several times. It's always good to talk to her. Thank you, Council Member, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. The Blunt Post with Vic. I have two interesting quotes for you today. Both have resurfaced after President Trump's egregious pardons. The first one is from Senator Lindsey Graham. In March 2019, Senator Graham told reporters... If President Trump pardoned anybody in his orbit, it would not play well. The second one is from Attorney General Bill Barr. Actually, um, Attorney General Bill Barr concluded his final day at the Justice Department on Wednesday. But a quote from his 2019 confirmation hearing about the legality of certain presidential pardons resurfaced. Asked by Vermont Senator Patrick Leahy if he believes a president can lawfully issue a pardon in exchange for the recipient's promise to not incriminate him, Barr replied, no, that would be a crime. The attorney general's response was one of three times during the hearing that he had affirmed it would be a crime to offer a presidential pardon for false testimony. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jaramie. Uh, Both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic 
Jerami, that's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.